The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn your Bible or on your app to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 12 tonight. Uh, Philippians is right in between Ephesians and Colossians. That's going to be in the back third of your Bible. Uh, Just so you know, if you don't have a Bible of your own and you want one, we have them for free. So uh, you can ask an usher after service or someone back in the lounge. We have Bibles for free. We'd really like to give you one if you want one, okay? Uh, Now, today, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, we'll have this uh, verses on the screens. You can follow along that way or just listen uh, as we read the Word of God together. Just want to make sure everyone has an option to follow along. Uh, This week, we are continuing in our series. It's called Joy, and it's a journey through Philippians. So what we're doing is going verse by verse through this entire book of the Bible. This book is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, which he had planted many years earlier. And uh, it's very powerful, full of lots of encouragement and challenging. Uh, Last week, we focused on how getting a glimpse of the beauty of knowing Christ should make it easy to lay down all of what used to define us. Uh, When Jesus is our greatest treasure, we can actually obey the command and receive the invitation to truly rejoice in the Lord. This week, we're going to see the power of focusing on the real goal of life and the joy-filled freedom that comes um, in striving for a godly perspective by the power of the Spirit, okay? So we're in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read to verse 16 together, okay? Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Praise God for his word. Uh, We'll go back to verse 12 and uh, work through this together by God's grace. So verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of, by Christ Jesus. We are often so one-dimensional in our thinking that we miss both beauty and opportunity. Paul says here that Christ Jesus has laid hold of him, and this is what we call salvation. Okay, so when he uses this language that Christ Jesus laid hold of him, what we believe is that uh, it is is by the sovereign power of God that men and women uh, are saved. And when we say saved, what do we mean? Well, we're talking about uh, no longer serving the kingdom of darkness. We're talking about no longer being blind and dead in our sins. We're talking about being given the faith by God as a gift that allows us to receive the beautiful truth of the gospel, uh, become a part of the family of God, and receive what the Bible calls the gift of salvation. And so we believe that's a, a work that God does, okay? And so that's when he talks about the fact that he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about salvation. But salvation is not the only reason 
Jesus grabs hold of us with his powerful and merciful grip. We must press on and strive by the Spirit of God so that we can experience and fulfill the purpose for which God created us. It, sometimes it can be really difficult to convince people that grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone is the all-sufficient provision for salvation. Sometimes that's so hard and we work so hard to get people to buy that because it's so counterintuitive and we work hard to, for people to see that it is by grace that we're saved. Sometimes we work so hard on that that sometimes we unintentionally underemphasize our responsibility as children of God. Because just because God does all of the work for our salvation and our justification by His grace alone doesn't mean we have no responsibility. Doesn't mean that there's then not expectations of us as recipients of that gift. Okay? Uh, so, what does it look like then to press on and strive, using the language the apostle uses here, by God's grace? And what is it we're striving for? Okay? Verse 13 begins to unpack that. What does it say? Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, I think we need to just acknowledge if anyone was going to have the right to look at their life and decide they had arrived, it would be Paul, right? Who at the time of this writing had devoted his life to preaching the gospel and planting churches, and he had caused such a ruckus in the ancient world that he was in jail as he wrote this letter. Okay, so this is a guy that has done something. This is a guy that has bought in to what the gospel means uh, and what it requires of us. He's a man who had given everything for the cause of Christ, a man who had risked his very life to spread the hope of the gospel. And at this very moment, he was awaiting a sentence to see if his obedience to Jesus was going to cost him his life. Here's what he says. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Okay, so that's instructive for us. We should probably regard ourselves as not having laid hold of it yet. Yes? Yes. Okay. That's helpful. So he's, he's stripped of everything the world would consider a success. He's sitting in a jail cell and writing letters to churches, encouraging them not to give up. And, and here's what he's wanting to convey to them through this. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, yes, yes, I'm in jail. Yes, I'm staring down the barrel of a death sentence. Yes, things don't look bad or things do look bad. But he's saying, I'm not done yet because I'm still breathing. And so I'm still striving and pressing towards this ultimate goal of life. And so he's... Out of his experience and out of his struggles, he's, he's trying to encourage the churches then, but also us as subsequent followers of Jesus down throughout history. What I'm really thankful for is that this letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's in the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit knows that we need not just a destination, but we need directions. He can't just tell us where we need to get. We need help. We need step by step. Don't we need color by number? Lucy's got a color-by-number pad, man. She's doing great. All the things are exactly like they should be, but that's because there's a number that tells her where that color should go. If it wasn't, the whale would probably be pink, right, instead of blue-gray like it should be, all right? So sometimes we need some color-by-number help by the help of the Holy Spirit. So here's, in striving towards what it is that is the responsibility of a Christian in light of the fact that we've received the beauty of the gospel... He begins to unpack then what that looks like. What, what are the directions to the destination? So he's going to define the destination for us, but he's also going to give us a way to get there. So here's the first thing he says, finishing uh, verse 13. He says, uh, so I haven't laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. 
Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. An inordinate view of our past, seen through the lens of a works-based righteousness, can cripple us in two ways. The first is that we believe we are so good, we must be loved. The second is that we are so bad, we will never be loved. The first is when we look at our past and think we have paid the price and deserve a reward. This deception exists on a wide spectrum from the person who sees themselves as generally pretty good to the person who has, like Paul, sacrificed much for the furthering of the kingdom of God. No matter how good you've been or how much you've done for the sake of the gospel, if you look at your past and think it makes sense that God loves you and that you're accepted by him, then you have not understood the horrendous nature of sin. Here's what Romans 6.23 says about it. It says, the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Right, but that first part we got to understand. The wages of sin is death. And there's almost no better way to illustrate this than the way God himself illustrated it in the Old Testament. Many times people struggle with a lot of Old Testament law, the ceremonial law that had all kinds of ritual washings uh, and also the, the essentially wholesale slaughter of animals uh, to atone for sin. And people are like, what, what, is, what was that all about? Well, part of what God was doing, and, and Hebrews tells us that the, the, the Old Testament law was a tutor partially to show us our need for the gospel. We have a serious problem as humans under-emphasizing and, and having a lack of understanding the, the depth of the problem of sin. And so that's why God would make them wash in very specific ways before he approached them. He would make them, uh, the, the, the price for the atonement of sin was the spilling of blood in a very violent way of animals. And people, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into an animal rights discussion about that. The bottom line about this was, God was teaching his people a lesson. Sin has a cost. Sin leads to death. Now, ultimately, of course, that was foreshadowing the fact that the highest price was going to be paid so that sin could ultimately be atoned for, and that was when the last lamb that was ever slaughtered to fix the problem of sin, which was Jesus Christ, the sinless and perfect lamb of God. That all that was a foreshadowing pointing forward. That's, but part of what God was doing with all of that Old Testament structure and what he was doing with Israel was teaching them and teaching us not to underemphasize how bad sin is because most of us do. Most of us don't understand what a grievous offense it is to disobey the God that made us. How much of an issue that is. And what I'm saying is, if at any point you look at your life, you look at your past and say to yourself, well, I mean, it, sure God loves me. Well, of, of course I'm accepted by God because I'm generally a good person or because you may be somebody that has, I mean, really laid down your life to sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom and his gospel. If in any way you look at what you do or what you've done and think that that means, hey, yeah, I mean, I probably deserve salvation. You don't understand how deep the problem of sin is. The only way you can come to the conclusion that what you could do is enough to balance the scales back out is to not understand how big of a problem sin really is. And we, we have a problem with that. This, so that's the first way that a works-based righteousness can, can 
kind of mess you up in regards to your past. The second is this, that we see ourselves so bad that we can't be loved. So the first is that we think we're so good we must be loved. Well, sure. The second is we see ourselves as so bad we can't be loved. Many of us are tortured by our pasts. Our sins, failures, and frailties scream in a coordinated and constant chorus that we are unworthy, unwanted, and hopeless. There is no doubt that Paul, who had held the coats of the men who murdered Stephen with stones and caused suffering for many who followed Jesus, there's no doubt he struggled with his past. But by the unmatched power of grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to submit to God's sense of justice instead of his own. We often place ourselves, I think most of the time unintentionally, but we often place ourselves in a higher seat of authority than God, deciding that our past sins are so wretched that his grace is not sufficient. We often believe we must carry the weight and continue to pay the price for our sins, which is tragic, and it's a tragic insult to our Savior, who suffered, bled, and died, so we didn't have to. The gospel is the only way we don't fall into either of these deceptions based on our past performance. The gospel teaches that though we deserve separation from God and death for our sin, we don't get what we deserve. By faith, we receive what Jesus deserves, which is relationship with God and eternal life with him. Now, to forget what lies behind here, this language that Paul uses, it does not mean to erase it from memory completely, but it means realizing we should learn lessons from our past, but never languish there. The truth is, and this is what Paul's teaching us here, your past is not a prison, but it's a source of perspective for your progress. I'm going to say that again because that's going to be a hinge point from here on out in this sermon. Your past is not a prison, but a source of perspective for your progress. So a reasonable question I hope you're asking is, well, then, then how do we gain that perspective? It's hard not to be ruled by our past, whether we have an overinflated view of ourselves or we have an underinflated view of ourselves, right? No matter where we land on that spectrum, how is it do we gain a perspective that we aren't imprisoned by our past and ruled by our past? Well, as this flow of thought continues, he doesn't just tell us that part of how he has overcome these tendencies is to forget what lies behind and press forward to what lies ahead, but he also begins to unpack the rest of what that means. So how do we gain that perspective? First of all, we have to know the goal. So many people live frustrated because they are either shooting for the wrong target or no target at all. So the question is, what is the goal, the target, the prize that we should be after? What is the prize? Verse 14 lets us know that. So he says, he says this is one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what is the prize? What is that thing we're pressing for? What is that thing we're striving for? By the Spirit of God and by the power of God's grace, we can never get this twisted and think any of what we're going to do in obedience to God is going to be by our own strength. If we're going to do anything that's going to be pointed towards uh, 
Obedience to Christ, kingdom furthering, or gospel mission, it's going to be by the power of the Spirit. So this is teaching us what at least we need to ask for. What, Lord, what do we need help with? Where should we be shooting for with your help, right? And, and, this, and this is what he says. Here's what the prize is. Here's what I'm shooting for. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's part of what I think that looks like. Here's, here's, here's how I think we often struggle with our past, right? We, 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 are, we are on this level. And, and from what our perspective and our vantage point, from what we can see, we, we look at the paths around us, we look at the, the options of the way to go, right, and, and, and maybe start to walk this way, but then, but then this, this thing from our past, it's, it's there, it's like a wall that stops us from any progress, right, because of something we believe about it. So you, you could turn this way and say, well, I, I can't go any farther there because I've done, I've done this and this and this, I've failed God in this way, and it's, and it's been over and over again, and so there's, there's no way I can head down that path of obedience towards God and joy because then I'd be a hypocrite. Or maybe, maybe you go to turn this way, and, and instead of it being something you did, it's a sin someone else committed against you, or just this general sense you have that your past, the, the hand you were dealt, was so much inferior to what everyone else was given that your past is going to dictate that there's no way you can then go forward. Or maybe, maybe you turn this way, and, and you've been going hard for a long time to serve Jesus. And from your perspective, from your vantage point, from the level you're looking, it doesn't look like there's as much progress as the effort I've been putting in. And so that wall is there, and it's discouraging to you. And so it could be, it could be discouraged by the fact that I've worked so hard, but I don't feel like I, it, I'm seeing what should happen out of that. Or it could be sins that have been committed against you in your past, or just the fact that you think you got a raw deal. Or you could turn this way, and it's, ah, I can't go that way because I've failed too many times. There's no way then now that God will call me or use me. And what Paul says is that the prize, the thing that we're striving for and the thing we're pushing for is an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so instead of being down here, always looking at things from your vantage point, what you need to do is step up and get up to where God looks from. That's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Son, come up here. Daughter, come up here. I want you to see this the way I see it. Because I know from down there it looks like you can't go left straight, back, or right. But here, come up here. I want to show you something. Because when you look that way and you see that you've sinned and messed up your life and now you'd be a hypocrite, but come look at this the way I see it. Come on, look over that wall. I'm going to use that. And I'm going to turn that tragedy into a testimony. I'm going to turn that sin into something where you can encourage somebody else. Okay, let's look this way. You did get a bad deal. You know what? You do have a hard way. You know what? Your early life was harder than someone else. But what you don't see from down there, look what I see from up here. I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it. I'm going to show somebody else that was dealt a raw deal that if they'll trust me, I can take something and make beauty out of ashes. Or, they, or you come over here, come over here. You can't see this from where you're at, but come up here. That upward call of God in Christ Jesus, come up here and look. Look what you can't see. You've been working so hard for so long. You've been trying to do this thing on your own. But if you just trust me, let my grace come in. Let me help you. You're going to see that wall's removed. And now we're going to do something. You're going to see something that you could have never accomplished. You could have worked the rest of your wretched 70, 80, 90 years thinking you're doing it all in your own strength. Let me come in. Let me add my strength to what you're doing. Let me bless and breathe upon your ministry and, and, and all your hopes and dreams. And watch what happens. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you were scared I was going to fall? Well, the rest of you, what's the matter with you? Do you understand what I'm talking about, though? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is to begin to see things the way he sees them. Do you see the beauty of that? 
Do you see the blessing in that? Do you understand how much you need to see things from a perspective other than your limited vantage point? Do you get that, friends? And do you see, can that be a prize for you that you will strive for by the strength, spirit, power, and grace of God? That's a prize. And that's part of the problem, friends. A lot of times we got other prizes we're shooting after. Success based on the world standards, all these other things we've decided. If I could get that, that, or that other thing, then finally I'll have joy, happiness, or something that kind of hopefully looks like it. Here's the target. Here's the goal. Here's what you need to strive for. Here's what you understand. need to understand that you need. You need to see things from God's vantage point. You need to know that the goal, the prize, that precious jewel you're going for is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to be able to see things the way he sees them. Because you spend a lot less time discouraged and a lot more time full of faith and joy. You spend a lot less time discouraged and a lot more time being able to pour into other people. Let them know, hey, I know it looks bad from where you're at, but hold on, let me show you something. Come with me, let me show you. There's a higher place to look from. Come here, let me show you something. God has said that he's working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I know you don't see it. I know you can't tell how, but God can. And sometimes you may not even be able to get all the way up to the point where you can see exactly what he sees. But if you trust that he's up there at his vantage point, looking at it from a different perspective, sometimes that's enough to keep striving and pressing by the power and grace of God. Hallelujah. Your past is not a prison. It's a source of perspective for your progress. God's saying to us, don't stay down there in your limited perspective. Don't stay down there where all you see are the consequences of your past, like prison walls holding you in. He's like, come up here, see things like I do. Have hope, dear one, because of me. Don't stay down there where you only see what's possible through your efforts or what you can accomplish. Press towards the precious prize of the upward call I have for you. Here's the truth, friends. Here's the beauty And here's the thing, the prize that we need to understand is true. You have a destiny and a purpose and a mission from the king of all creation. And the call here is for you to never settle for less than that. The king of all creation has a destiny and a purpose and a mission for you. And so often, like C.S. Lewis said, man, we lie to ourselves. We think our problem oftentimes is that we're, we're, we're too hard to satisfy. That, that what we think God offers, that's just not enough for us. We need more. I need this experience, or I need that, or I need something outside of the loving boundaries God has established in order for me to be fulfilled. We often think that's our problem. I don't, it's just too restrictive. C.S. Lewis says, no. No. Your problem isn't that you've you got too much of an appetite. Your problem is you don't have enough. The problem is that you'll settle for making mud cakes in the street, and you don't even understand, man, that what God has is a holiday at the sea. You settle too low. Your appetites aren't big enough. If you're willing to munch on what the earth is offering you, what this world has to offer you, you've settled. Because what God is offering is so much better. To be able to see things from his viewpoint. To be able to be a part of his redemptive purposes in the earth. To be a part of a mission so much bigger than yourself. Don't don't you guys understand about yourself? Don't you see in the rest of humanity around you this desire that drives us most of the time to do weird, crazy, painful stuff? It's this desire to want to be something, a part of something greater. We want to do something bigger than what I could just accomplish in everyday mundane. That is a desire. It's innate in all of us. Why is that there? Well, probably because we were made by a God who does have a plan bigger than any one of us could accomplish on our own. And because the, the greatest ascent that any human could reach 
is to be able to join in with the rest of God's people and be a part of his redemptive purposes that are going to affect eternity forever. You're not going to get any greater of an experience than that. The fact that God, the king of all creation, has a destiny for you should cause you to never settle in the painful, dark little alleyways that you end up playing with garbage, thinking that you, you've, you've exhausted all this life has to offer. Step up, please. See the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let that be your prize. Seek after it. Trust God for it. Verse 15 says this, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything you have, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. This word perfect here might seem very confusing because in verse 12 he says, um, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. And then uh, verse 15 he says, let us therefore as many as are perfect, right, have this attitude. So it's like, did he forget what he wrote three verses ago? The, the reality is that this book... This word, they both spring out of the same root word, and, and really the word maturity works there as well, but it seems to be almost that Paul's kind of making a, a bit of a joke to those who believe that they have attained perfection. Uh, he, there might be a little bit of tongue-in-cheek here. Ultimately, the bottom line is, verse 15 can be read, let us, therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal this also to you. So what does that mean? If he's saying, so bottom line, what, is he, what did he just lay out? First of all, uh, we need to know we haven't laid hold of it, okay? But even though I understand that, what, what do I do in, in heading towards that goal? First of all, I, I forget what lies behind, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. We've got to quit living in a prison of our past and see that God uses our past as a part of our story moving forward. And then he says, he presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? So then that, that's, his, that's, that's his premise. That's what he's arguing for. And then he says, so therefore, if we're mature, any of you that's mature, have this attitude. Think about it that way. See the call of God as a precious prize. See the fact that God would allow you to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. See that as a precious thing. See that as something that causes you to think about situations different, causes you to make decisions different. Let that be a grid that affects the way you conduct yourself in the way you deal with people and in all of your life. The call of God, not only to salvation, but also to run the race of sanctification, to be a part of what he's doing. See that as a prize. And verse 15, he's just saying, if, if you're mature, then have this attitude. Think that way. Think of the call of God as an incredible prize to be sought. Don't stay stuck in your past. Don't believe the lies of the devil that are constantly barraging you, telling you your past dictates everything about your future. Absolutely, it does not. So if you're mature, think that way. But then he says, however, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. I think that's interesting because a lot of Philippians is Paul in, in a very kind of open, raw, emotional way pouring out his heart. Um, I have to think part of this has to do with, I mean, look at what he's dealing with. Look at the situation he's in. Um, He's going to have to send this letter with a messenger because he can't go himself because he's in jail for the gospel. So he's in an emotionally vulnerable state, and so he's pouring out his heart. 
He's, he's talking in these terms, and you, it, it comes through. And so what he's saying here is, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. That we could we kind of glance over that, but he is making a, a really passionate plea for people to think this way. He truly 100% believes that anybody who is imprisoned by their past is going to miss all of the beauty God has for them. He fully believes that a mature Christian that understands what has happened because of God giving us his gospel, that we, every single one of us, should see the call of God on each of our lives and, and, and on us collectively as an incredible prize to be sought after. He really, truly believes that's the right way to think. But then he says this, however, if you're not going to think that way, God will reveal that also to you. And I think that's instructive for us because, I got to be honest, I'm not good sometimes at approaching things this way because because, because of my love for people and because of the fact that when they're not thinking about things in a scriptural way that's true, they're not thinking with a biblical worldview, they're not viewing their situation through the, the paradigm of, of gospel grace and, and uh, God's goodness towards them, when, when people are making decisions that are self-destructive and harmful, uh, I, I, feel, I feel Paul's passion here in getting this out, and, and, and he, he wants to sway people towards this way of thinking, not as a form of control, but as an incredible labor of love. He just wants them not to have to suffer the consequences of deception and the decisions that come along with it. And sometimes I think we end up getting in situations where, I, I, I kind of hope you're getting in this situation and you need this correction. I hope that because if, if you're not, then, then we got to at least get you to the point where you care about putting yourself in this situation. But sometimes when I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're not getting it, they're not, they're not picking up what I'm putting down, right? They're not smelling what I'm cooking, as The Rock used to say. <laughs> uh, when, when they're not jiving with it, man, and they're pushing back and they're fighting against it, oftentimes... I feel this pressure like I, I, I have to right there in that moment, I got, I have to, I got to push and get them to the point where they're going to they're gonna buy this because if they don't and they walk away from me in this moment and, and I don't do everything I can to, to convince them, then, then there's going to be more pain. There's going to be more results of them making poor choices and, and running away from God and, and violating his loving laws. And so I, we, I think I get in these positions where sometimes I, I, I don't trust what Paul trusts here that okay, I've given you the truth. And if you're not going to be willing to believe it, then I trust that at some point the Spirit of God's going to work in you and he's going to get you that truth. He was able to lay down his passionate argument, but step away and trust God to finish the work. I was just having a conversation with somebody this weekend that was asking me, hey, you know, when I'm at work and I'm, I'm looking to, to speak the gospel to people and I want to speak into situations, sometimes it's really hard because sometimes people don't react well. You guys know that, right? Sometimes people that don't believe the gospel, when you share the gospel with them, they don't think it's great. Sometimes when you share biblical truth with people from, from a heart of love, sometimes they don't think you're being loving. Sometimes they throw on you that you're being judgmental or bigoted or I can't believe you believe some archaic book and blah, 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 right? Sometimes those are the responses. And so sometimes anticipating those responses shuts us down before we even start. Here's what we learn from this right here. If we have the confidence Paul had that we're, we are going to make the passionate plea, we are going to go out on a limb and do whatever it takes to speak truth and love to people. But ultimately, the, 
what, what's going to have to happen is our effort is going to have to be coupled with the power of God's Spirit if it's going to change their heart anyways. Because you're never going to have so eloquent of an argument or so well-constructed of, 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 a, of a presentation that somebody's heart is going to change just based on your information. The Spirit of God is the one that changes hearts. And so what, ultimately, what does this mean practically for us? What it means is we are not responsible for results. We are responsible for faithfulness. And I think that will free some of you to be more faithful. Because I think some of you have not been faithful in opening your mouth when you have opportunities and open doors to share the gospel because you think you're responsible for results. And so you run the, you run the scenario in your imagination and you don't see the results going the way you think they should. And so you just don't even start and end up not faithful. So here's, here's, here's the beauty of this. Here's what this frees us to do, friends. You can... Speak into situations when you have open doors. You can speak truth and love by the power of God's Spirit. You can give people what the Scriptures would say. You can let them know that God loves them, but He also has boundaries. And when you go outside those boundaries, it's going to cause destruction and pain for you. You can share with them the truth of the gospel. And if they don't react the way you're hoping they react, you can trust God to take that seed you've just planted and do something with it. Ultimately, that person could reject that loving invitation all the way to their death. And that's tragic. But oftentimes what happens is God will take the faithfulness of one person and willingness to speak truth into someone's life. And it could be days, weeks, months, or years that there's a process of him coming along and watering those seeds, coming along then and letting someone else harvest those seeds. Here's the bottom line. I'm just glad I get to be a gospel farmer and I'm in this thing at all. I'm glad I get to partake in the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus to go into a dark world and share light, to go into a tasteless world and sprinkle some salt. I'm just thankful I get to be a part. I'm thankful that I'm not blind and dead in my sins. I'm thankful that I get to talk to people that are struggling. I'm thankful I get to talk to people that don't yet understand the beauty of the gospel. And because of what God has taught us through his word, I don't have to come to them with an air of superiority or somehow think I'm better than them. I can come to them knowing I'm simply a beggar that found some food that wants to let the other beggar know where the food is. I'm not better than you because God has graciously... What, what did Paul say? That, that Jesus laid hold of him. Just because Jesus laid hold of me... And you've not yet submitted to his loving invitation doesn't make me any better than you. But it makes me love you, and it makes me care about you, and it makes me desperately hope that you'll receive the gift of salvation and that Jesus will lay hold of you. And then also, you know what's, you know what's cool here? It's, it, back to verse 12. I, I promise, this, I, I won't take long on this. You're like, oh man, I thought we got through that. No, we're, we're, we're going back for a second. Hold on. It says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I was thinking about that. I think some, <laughs> I think some people, Lord, the Lord Jesus lays hold of them, man. And, and they're, like, they're like a toddler you're trying to get dressed. You know what I mean? You ever done that before? You ever had a toddler that didn't want pants and you had to get pants on them, right? Like that's a mission. And, and some, some of you are like that with God, right? He's got a hold of you, but you are wiggling and squirming, and that really slows down productivity. But Paul said he had this desire. To, as Jesus laid his merciful hands of love upon him, he didn't want to squirm. He didn't want to run. He didn't want to fight him. He wanted to turn around and embrace, and he wanted to hold on too. And so they can move in the same direction, man. So we're not, we're not, we're not fighting each other. There's a momentum that happens. 
when you have a desire to turn around and lay hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. So turn around, grab his hands, let's run together. Instead of you trying to run sideways and, and backwards and squirm out of his hand. He's not letting go with that merciful grip, but sometimes you make it hard. I wish you'd quit that. Just put on the pants, okay? Amen. Paul trusts that the Spirit is going to reveal what needs to be revealed to people, even if they're not there yet. We are not responsible for results. We are responsible for faithfulness. So please don't let your imagination about how the results are going to go dictate whether or not you're faithful. You be faithful and trust God with results. Verse 16. It says, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Essentially what he's saying to us here is that there is difficulty. It's, it's, it's not always easy to, press for, to forget what is behind and press forward towards that upward call of God and Christ Jesus, but, but essentially what he's calling us to here is, is to stay the course. Stay the course. Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Let's keep moving in the same direction. Let's, let's make a decision that circumstances are not going to dictate in any way whether I'm going to obey God and pursue the upward call of Christ as a precious prize. What if I have a bad day? It doesn't matter. We're going to keep pressing. We're going to keep moving in that same direction towards God, not away from him. We're going to see, keep seeking as a precious jewel to walk in all the fullness of the call of God on our lives. Stay the course. Let us keep living by that same standard. Are we going to do that because we make a decision to? The answer is no. I don't know if you... That was a pop quiz, huh? Nobody likes those. Okay. No. We're not going to do that just because we decide to. This, what, what does this do? This at least sets a target up for us. Remember I told you earlier how many people live frustrated? Think about this in your life. Think about people you know. Think about all the varied things people are chasing after. Think about how many people in your life, the goal for them is to fulfill the call of God in Christ Jesus on their life. They've, they've set as a singular target pursuing what it is God made them to do. How many people, some of you are like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm actually not doing that either. Okay, good. Well, good. Let's fix that, right? At least let's, let's have a target, and then, and then Paul says, stay the course, man. At least if you know where you're shooting for. Some days you're going to move closer to that thing than others. Some days you're going to be more faithful than others. God's grace is there for the days that you're not so good at it. But no matter what, any forward progress, any of staying the course towards that call of God for each of us and for us collectively is going to be empowered by the Spirit. It's only going to be done by God's grace. So this should inform the way we pray. Right? And that leads to the next thing I'm going to say, which is, so if Paul's calling us to stay the course in the midst of what, what can be difficult in the, in the time and place we live, it's been difficult for anybody that has had to exist in, in, in this world and try to obey these verses, okay? And, and the rest of the verses. There seems to be a constant counter uh, flow and a counter current um, pushing against um, obeying God and, and, and seeing his call upon us as his church, as his people. Uh, to, to, to walk that thing out, to see that out. It seems to be a constant, like, like a wind blowing against us to some degree. But, but ultimately, uh, 
by the grace of God, man, we'll have a wind behind us much stronger than in front of us. And God, God will have victory. He will help us obey Him. How is it that we avoid distraction and stay engaged in spirit-empowered pursuit of the real goal of life? How do we do that? Uh, the first thing I already mentioned to you, I think, is prayer. And I think this should affect the way that we pray, right? There's a lot of things we can pray about. There's a lot of things we should pray about. Uh, I'm so thankful to God that he has opened up to us the beautiful opportunity to communicate to him. And he has said, you know what? I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to respond. Uh, sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says no. Most of us prefer one of those answers above the other two. However, I'm just glad he answers at all. I'm just glad he'll speak to me because I'm fairly insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and I'm well aware of that. Uh, but he doesn't think so. He loves me, and he listens, and he answers. And I, I think if we as his people understand that the goal of life, the target we're shooting for, is to fulfill the destiny and the mission that he created us for as his people all together and individually, then, then I would think we would be praying about that. One of the ways we don't end up distracted and shooting after other targets or no target at all is that we bring this, these things in prayer before God and we ask for his strength to do it. We ask for clarity. We ask for uh, him to direct us. We ask him to put, to whatever degree it takes, put blinders on my eyes when distractions are there. I, I, don't, e I don't even want to give place to that stuff because I have something far more beautiful and of far more worth directly in front of me, the call of God to be his people and to be his heralds and his ambassadors in the world. So prayer is one of the ways we avoid distraction and stay engaged uh, in pursuing the real goal of life. The second is to stay in God's word. Well, this, this sounds like the basic stuff preachers always say. Yep, it is. But I'm hoping you see the value of it again applied to this context and this discussion. Because sometimes, are you, are you willing to be honest with me? Sometimes you struggle to know why it's important to pray. Don't you? Sometimes you struggle to be motivated to pray. Don't you? Sometimes you do. Because there are distractions and there are other things pulling on your time and attention and affection. There are, man. But when we at least have our eyes set upon the target of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, then hopefully... It's going to be, there's going to be less frequency of times that we're having to struggle to find a reason to pray. Because part of what knowing what the goal is, is keeps us from settling for the things we so often settle for. Sometimes we're not praying because we've settled for mud pies in the street, man. And we're good. We feel like we're cool. I'm comfortable. I'm whatever, you know, I've reached whatever that goal is. I got married, or I got a relationship, or I got a little bit of money, or I got a job, or I got rid of that job, or I got rid of that relationship. Whatever the thing is you've decided, if I could just get to there, then you know I'll, I'll, I'll be comfortable. I'll be able to coast a little bit. Part of what gets set here for us is an inability to coast, because each day I wake up, though I hope to be closer to the goal of hitting that target, of, of, of maxing out my potential of what God has created me to do and called me to do, I realize I'm still not there. And so what day do I get to wake up and slack off in the things of God? So hopefully we're going to be praying about that. This should also drive us to God's word because we know that it's God's word, the very bread of life that nourishes us, that gives us strength for this, this pursuit. Uh, man, if you, 
if you try to run a long race, man, and you don't do the nutrition part right beforehand, right? You can't Dwight Schrute it and, and eat a big bowl of pasta beforehand and think you're carving up for the big race, right? And that's what we do. We eat a lot of junk food half the time, spiritual junk food. Uh, you know, we do our, our 60 minutes a day of social media and our, our five hours of television. And it's like, when we wonder why the next day I don't have a lot of motivation for spiritual things or care much about what God thinks. Listen, I'm not, an, I'm not anti-social media or TV. Listen, God uses those mediums as well, and that's not really my point. I'm not, a, I'm not coming after those things. I mean, if I think I need to, I will. I'm not afraid of those things. I'll take them on. Don't worry about that. That's not my point. But I'm, I just want to make sure you understand my point. My point is about hungers and appetites. My point is about what we think we're going to be able to run on, okay? And so if we understand there is a call of God that we have not yet attained to, but that is going to be for our joy and is going to be for the glory of God, and we're not there yet, it should drive us to prayer. We should have no ability to be lax in that. It should drive us to God's word that is going to continually be a way he's going to communicate to us um, the things that we need, the wisdom that we need, the truth that we need to uh, keep chasing after that goal, since we now know what the goal is, right? Um, it, it's, it's provision for us. It's, it's strength for us. Um, and and it's, it's, it's God's love letter to us. It's encouraging for us. So if, if we're not in God's word, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people jump off this thing. They, they, they get out of pursuing the, the call of God in Christ Jesus, the destiny God has for them. They, they, they slack off and they, they get frustrated and upset at God because they feel like God's not communicating with them or God isn't giving them answers. And, you know, part, part of our problem is many times we don't understand what we have in this Bible. Many times we don't see the precious value of the Word of God. Oftentimes we don't understand that literally all that we need and what, and as far as it pertains to life and godliness is found within these scriptures, that many of the questions that we have, that many of the, the yearnings and the achings of our heart that, that go unanswered, if we, would, if we would come back to this beautiful word, we would find those things satisfied. We, we should never, ever lob some accusation at God of him not communicating with us, and this Bible be closed. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That was our buddy John. He understood something about this. The very character, nature, and words of our king are contained within these scriptures. And if we'll stay in them, and we'll see them as precious, and we'll feast upon them, we will have more motivation, we will have more strength to continue that pursuit of that call of God, which is our prize. The third thing I would say to you is, is community. I believe we should be in prayer, God's word, but also in community. Because if, if, we'll, be, if we'll be open and honest for a second, I, 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 I really hope nobody in here will be offended by this. I hope there's enough self-awareness in this room for you to just accept this statement. Sometimes you think stupid stuff. If you're offended by that, let's talk afterwards. Like, I love you. I'm not going to be mean. I have four people tell me this week, dude, you're kind of scary. And I'm like, so I wore my dad's sweater today. I figured like, you know, maybe this, maybe this will soften the edges. I don't know. I, I don't want to be scary, man, but I know, like, I know I'm severe, but like, I, I feel like Paul to some degree. Like, I just want you to stop causing pain for yourself. Like, please listen to God, man. He loves you. And if he says something, it's because he loves you and he knows better than you. 
And part of how he communicates all the things he knows more than you about is he puts you in a group of people with different experiences, with different viewpoints, with different vantage points, with different life stories, people that have been walking this thing out with God, and they're going to be able to help you and be a sounding board. And, and, and when I say community, I don't just mean you got to have friends. you got to have friends with a Bible in their hand and, and true Jesus Type love in their heart for you. Because if they got a Bible in their hand and they love you like Jesus does, if you're thinking right, they're going to celebrate with you and tell you, you know what, that's awesome. That, that is exactly the way you should think about that. But also if they have a Bible in their hand and they love you like Jesus does, and you say something off the wall, totally anti-God, anti the wisdom of the scriptures, they're going to say, hey, hold on a second. You're thinking dumb stuff. And you should slow your roll. And anybody so prideful to think that they don't need community is destined for destruction. The, the New Testament doesn't even know what to do with a person that, that thinks they're going to serve Christ outside of, of the community of God's family. Literally, read, read all the New Testament and just ask yourself this question. Is the New Testament assuming you're going to be connected to a group of other believers that are going to be walking through this thing with you? Find me some verses that it makes it seem like what it's describing is that you should go run and do this thing solo because you're the one. You're the Neo, man. You're the Neo-Christian that has this whole thing handled and figured out, and you can do it all on your own. Find me that verse. You're not gonna. And so we need to be in prayer. We need to be in communication with God directly, and we need to stay eternally thankful that he invites us to that kind of communication with him. Every single time we pray, we should come out our heart full because God just even messed with us. We need to stay in God's word and see it for the beautiful gift that it is. We need to see it as another way he communicates his love and truth to us. And we need to understand that the people of God, the family of God is another way he communicates love and truth to us. It's a way that he helps us to keep our eye on that goal and that beautiful prize he set before us. Sometimes you need another person because sometimes you're good at ignoring prayer and ignoring the word. And so you need people that are in close enough proximity of your life, close enough friends, people that really know you well enough that when you start to veer to the right and to the left, when you start to get distracted, when you start to not see the upward call of God in Christ Jesus as the beautiful prize that it is, when you start to be distracted, that somebody can run up and stick a stick in your spokes. And you need to be thankful when you flip over the handlebars and bump your head that somebody loved you enough to do that to you. You guys understand this bike riding analogy, right? You guys were kids. You ever seen somebody stick stick into someone else's spokes? They're going, right? Up over the handlebars, man. You stop right now. Did you ever do that? Yeah, man, I did that. What do you think? You think I was a good kid? No. Heck no. But I want to do it figuratively now. Like, if you're actually riding a bike, I won't do that to you now. Let me make sure I'm clear. But if spiritually, man, you're riding your bike straight to hell, I'm going to stick a stick in your spokes. If you're riding towards destruction, man, I love you. And I'll bump your head in order to stop you from totally tearing your life apart. And you need people in your life like that. Some of you have had bad experiences being vulnerable and letting people into your life. Community's not gone well for you. Please don't let your past be a prison. You hear me? Don't let your past in that regard be a prison that stops you from having access to all that God has given you. Community is a gift. Part of, 
Part of how that goes, though, is it's messy because that means I'm going to lash myself together in a really real way with other people who are imperfect. And so sometimes they're not going to do the greatest job, um, always acting and talking in love. Sometimes they're going to be over-aggressive. Sometimes they're going to make an assumption. There's going to be there's vulnerability. Relation, real relationship dictates that those vulnerability, and vulnerability opens up for the opportunity of pain. Somebody once said that, that grief is the price we pay for love, okay? But you just need to understand God understands all that, and he's still called you to community. He's still called you to do life with other people in a real way. Because if you don't, you will miss part of what God has provided to help you obey these scriptures in seeing the call he's got upon your life as a beautiful gift and a prize. You'll fall short of all of the potential that God has put in you, which is a tragedy. So some of you are going to have to forget what lies behind and press forward to what lies ahead in regards to how you've been hurt by people. And I don't want to be insensitive about that. I realize that can be a very grinding, difficult process. Believe it or not, I've been hurt before in the past. Really? Yeah. Um, and sometimes I've not been quick to forgive. And sometimes I have held up... Uh, I've built walls and, and what I thought were, were thick stone walls around my heart that would keep out people and thus keep out pain. Um, but it took the Spirit of God really teaching me that the misery of that isolation was much worse than taking those walls down um, and working with people by God's grace. And experiencing, yes, maybe being let down, but then also being given the opportunity to do for them what Jesus did for me, which is forgive them. Praise God. Thankful for prayer. I'm thankful for his word. I'm thankful for his people. May we be a people who are not imprisoned by our past, but free to engage in joy-filled pursuit of our future. May we be a people who see the call of God and his plan for us as a precious prize of the greatest value. And may we be a people who stay the course by the grace of God for our joy and his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for these scriptures. We thank you. We thank you for the truth that in order for us to fulfill what it is you've called us to do as your church and what you've called us individually to, Lord, we are going to have to let go. We are going to have to forget what lies behind and press forward to what lies ahead. I thank you, God, that doesn't mean we have to force ourselves into spiritual amnesia, but what that means is that we can't let our past control us. That We don't have to live in a prison of past mistakes, past hurts, or even past successes. But I thank you, God, we can lay those at your feet. We can, we can give those to you, trust you to handle all of that. We can press forward towards the beautiful call, the destiny, the mission that you've given us as your people. Thank you, God, that you have called us not to do this alone. Thank you, Lord that you didn't call us to an isolated faith. Thank you that you didn't call us to have to try to make it all on our own, but you've given us the beautiful gift of your people, the family of God, that we can mourn together and rejoice together, that we can lift up each other's arms and be a support. 
Thank you, God, even for the imperfection of your people. Thank you, God, for the fact that as we, as we come close enough to each other to really help each other strive towards this upward call, that we are going to bump into each other, that we all are going to fail each other and fall short. I thank you for that today because I realize that that opens up opportunities for gospel grace to go forth and for us to see the beauty of what happens when people are willing to forgive one another. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I don't have to be perfect in order to be in relationship with people. Thank you that I don't have to believe that I can never make a mistake in order for someone to be able to love me and for me to love them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for setting this target for us. Thank you, God, that we don't have to meander about this life aimlessly, blind, groping in the dark, hoping to find something that will satisfy us. But thank you, God, that you have clearly marked out for us this beautiful call to be your people, to be light and salt in the world, to be ambassadors of the most precious and beautiful message anyone will ever hear. Thank you that we are gospel soldiers and workmen. Thank you, Lord, that you have a mission and a destiny for us. God, please help us. Please help us to stop settling for anything less than what you have for us and what you've called us to. So often, we get distracted, and we believe the lie that something else will satisfy, and we settle. God, please help us to have a tenacity by the power of your Spirit to never, ever settle for anything other than the beautiful mark of answering your call for all of us. We need your help for that, Lord. We are prone to distraction. We are prone to splitting our affections and pouring our worship other places. But we thank you, Lord, for your promise to be with us and help us in these things. We're totally relying on you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.